Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Have you ever enjoyed someone's will? What I mean by that is, have you ever had feelings of happiness because of what someone else loves or doesn't love? For example, maybe a boss who cares about all the right things. He's impressed with the things that you think are important. He he doesn't care much about those things that you also don't think are important. You're right on the same page with him. And you're glad that his will, his likes and his dislikes and priorities and decisions line up with the things that are important to you. Every parent can relate to this. When you see one of your children really taking delight in showing kindness or who loves sticking up for someone that everyone else is picking on or some other virtue, when your kids love something beautiful and desire the right things, what brings greater joy to a parent's heart than that? A Christian is someone who takes that kind of delight in God's will, what he loves and hates and chooses and rejects and prefers. Today we'll talk about how to use that to draw nearer to God than you ever have before. Life has lots of ups and downs, but for the Christian, whether you're walking uphill or downhill, your orientation always stays fixed on one thing, the will of God. That's what we're all about, isn't it? As Christians, God's will. That's how we live our lives. We make thousands of decisions every single day. We're making thousands of decisions. And, and, and our goal as Christians is for all of those decisions to be driven by, governed by God's will. We want to be in his will. Because why? Because we prize his will more than even our own ideas. What God desires is more precious and delightful and important to us than even what we naturally desire. And so there's so much emphasis in Scripture on the will of God. In Mark 3.35, Jesus said that the only people who are part of his family are people who do the will of God. And in Matthew 7.21, same thing. The only one, they're the only ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 6.6, 6, people who do the will of God from their heart. Those are the servants of Christ. In 1 Peter 4.1, a Christian is, is someone who does not live his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We live for his will. And we desire his will. We're all about his will. John 4, 34, Jesus taught that doing his will, is that's our eat food and drink. That's what we eat and drink. That's our sustenance. Doing God's will. In fact, you can sum up the entire Christian life as... That period of time when you did God's will. That's Hebrews 10.36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. That's, that's the Christian life. You just, when you did the will of God. It's all about God's will, which is why there's so much information in Scripture about how to discover his will. And how to discern it. Romans 12.2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Colossians 1.9, Paul prays, he says, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Just to fill you up with the knowledge of his will. If I can pray one thing for you, that's what I want, Paul says. 
Hebrews 13.20, may, may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. That's what the Christian life is. So much so that the Bible writers even come to the point of, they just assume that the only motivation that you need, if you're a Christian, the only motivation you need to do something is to find out that's God's will. So they'll, they'll tell you that. Like 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should avoid sexual morality. And he just expects us to read that and say, oh, it's God's will? Well, of course, then I'll do it. I want to do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because it's God's will. 1 Peter 2.15, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. A Christian is someone who longs for God's will to be done. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught. He said, pray this way, your will be done on earth, Lord. We long for God's will. We pray for God's will. We strive to discern God's will, to carry it out. We pray for one another to know God's will and be filled with that knowledge because God is so wise and so good and so loving that whatever he wills, whatever he desires, that is absolutely the best thing possible. Far better than anything we could dream up. So being a Christian means living your life tethered to and obsessed with the will of God. Living the Christian life means living a life tethered to and obsessed with the will of God. And that happens through prayer. That's how you get there. Try this. Before, I've been doing this the last several weeks. This has just been an amazing thing. Before you pray, ask God what he wants you to pray for. Just spend some time doing that first because Romans 8 says there's times when we don't know what we should pray and the Holy Spirit helps us in those times. So, so start by asking God, what do you want me to pray for? What, what should I, what should I ask, ask you for? Um, I've been doing this lately. I start out the day and I'll make a list of all the stuff in my life. So food and eating and exercise and rest is one of them and, and then work and phone calls, emails, um, family discipleship, uh, showing love to people in the church, um, caring for people, um, my attitudes, my disposition, my marriage, all these things. And then I'll just go down the list and I'll pray. I'll say, God, what do you want me to pray for regarding eating and exercise and rest today? What do you want me to pray for regarding my attitudes? How do you want me to pray about this trial in my life? What direction should I go? I mean, should I mainly be praying for perseverance and strength or mainly for healing or mainly for... And just just ask him, how should I pray? This is, I'm finding this is such a wonderful way to start your day. It really is because, for one thing, it takes a lot of guilt away, all this stuff that you feel like you should be doing and you realize, well, it's not God's will for me to do it today. I don't think he wants me to do that today and so it's off the plate and that can get rid of needless guilt but it's also a wonderful thing because because it's you just start your day right off the bat puts right in front of your face the most important thing god's will and it lets you see in your whole day in connection with god's will and you have clear marching orders for the day then all the way through your, your day, your, your, your details of your life are connected to God. Every fork in the road, hard times, easy times, feeling sad, feeling happy, green pastures, quiet waters, valley of the shadow of death, whatever it is, everything is connected to God. You, you just offer to God in prayer. And everything that you offer to God in prayer becomes sacred. Do you know that? 
Through prayer, we hallow every pleasure and sanctify every pain. That's First Timothy 4, 5. You, you make food holy just by giving thanks for it. Every event, every feeling in life becomes holy as we involve God with it through prayer. And if we learn to do that, to learn how to walk with God with this kind of focus on His will through the day, it can be a great corrective to those times when we start to step off the path. See, if I'm not communing with God and I start wandering off the path, I won't even really notice necessarily. But but if I'm communing with God and then I try to step off the path or I'm tempted to step off the path, it's like, whoa, wait, I have to let go of this communion with God in order to step over there. And it can be a corrective. And even if you even if you've already stepped off the path, prayer can be a corrective. You can turn that sin back to prayer. And I think that's exactly what James is calling all the readers of, of his book to do here. And this, their church is so messed up with sin. And he's saying, take that sin and go back to prayer. Revert it back to prayer. Whenever you start responding the wrong way to suffering, like that's, I mean, that's what they were doing in this book, right? Just time and again, they're responding the wrong way to suffering. They're responding in sinful ways to suffering. And he's saying, replace that with prayer. Try that. You suffer. You start grumbling. Say, wait, I'm grumbling. Let me replace that with prayer. These grumbles, let me turn them into prayers. I'm gossiping about somebody. Let me start. Wait, wait, wait. I'm gossiping. Let me pray for that person. Like, oh, we're talking about him. Let's just pray for him. Prayer is the remedy for sins of the mouth and for sins of the heart, right? If you start worrying, spend that energy praying instead. So 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's the time to do that. Um, if you if you find that you're praying and then sometimes you get anxiety, you pray, you get even more anxiety, and that's a sign of that James four praying where you you think you need this thing in order to be happy, and you're afraid God's going to say no to your prayer, and so you pray. Your praying makes you more anxious until you finally get to the point of saying, "No, God, I care about your will, and I know you're going to do that." And so whatever you're going to do, I'm thankful for it. And that's why Philippians four says, "When you're anxious, pray with thanksgiving." Lots of thanksgiving in your prayer because you're just saying, God, thank you for whatever you're going to do because I know that's what's best. If you start doubting that God loves you, I mean, you're suffering trials and your your wrong response is doubt. I doubt that God is good or I doubt that he really loves me or that he's powerful. Take all that energy you're spending on doubting, put that energy into prayer. You know, those times when it's hardest to pray are when you need to pray the hardest. If you come down with that horrible disease called self-pity, turn it into prayer. You know, that's one of the hardest diseases to cure, but prayer will do it. Self-pity is when you grumble to yourself about how hard you've got it, right? And uh, when we do that, what happens is it, get, it really drives us down into the pit because, because we tend to exaggerate all our suffering and uh, ignore God's blessings because they spoil the case we're making for how hard we got it. When you start to do that, if you turn that that self-pity into a prayer of lament and you pour that out to God, here's what you'll find. First of all, you won't be exaggerating how rough it is because he knows exactly how rough it is. (laughs) You're not going to fool him. And secondly, you're not going to leave out his blessings because when you're talking to him, I mean, he's right there. You're going to talk about that. And so what you'll find is as you... Talk about his blessings and acknowledge those, and you acknowledge the reality of, of your situation. 
the whole self-pity party goes to pot. Right? It's gone. Dies out. I've really been enjoying doing this the past few days, Turn, turning everything into a little prayer. The most mundane task, ask, God, how could I put a smile on your face right now while I'm doing this? Or what could I learn about you from this? Or what part of your glory is evident if I just look around me right now? Or if I zoom out to the big picture, how does this moment fit into your kingdom purposes. It's a wonderful way to commune with God and keep from going too long in between moments of paying attention to Him. Give it a try today. Let's pray. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy and your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works, and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I'll be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Who is the man that fears the Lord? You will instruct him in the way chosen for him. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Lead me in the way everlasting. Fill me with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding that I might live a life worthy of you and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of you. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.